Welcome to NASA EDGE. An inside and outside look at all things NASA. We have a great show in store for you today, and it starts with our special guest, Steve Gaddis. Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Glad to be here. Always a pleasure to join you guys on the show. Speaking of joining us, this is your fourth appearance on NASA EDGE. You are kind of becoming our a resident co-host. That's awesome, and I am keeping track. A veteran, if you will. And of course, we have a rookie correspondent outside the studio, Sarah. How's it going? Hi, I'm Sarah Messina. I'm a student at UC Berkeley, and I'm just going to be doing some interviews a little bit later uh, about Ceres and then the radiation budget instrument, RBI. So you're feeling good? You're ready for today's interview? Totally ready. I live my life by the Emperor Cusco motto, bring it on. <laughs> nice Disney reference. We'll check back with you later in the show. Thanks, guys. I'll see you later. Always awesome to have great guests on the show. Absolutely. Now, Steve, the last time you were with us, you were with the Game Changing Office. Right. Now you're the Deputy Director of Flight Projects. Tell us a little bit about that transition and what you're doing now. Okay, to begin with, I was asked to do an 18-month detail over in Flight Projects, and the primary assignment was to work down and in, focus on the projects making good technical progress, focus on mission success, cost and schedule, and doing a monthly review. Taking care of business. Getting business done. <laughs> yeah, now, in the show today, we're going to be talking about flight projects from formulation to completion down on the center level. And I think that we have an interview to start off that. Yes, I had a chance to talk with Eric Jensen from NASA headquarters. He helps us understand the origin story. Let's check it out. So, Eric, tell me a little bit about what Earth Science Division does, what its goals are, and your role. Well, we're actually um, responsive to uh, one of the agency's primary goals, and that is to expand scientific understanding of the Earth and develop technologies to improve the quality of life on our home planet. So within the Earth Science Division, there are four elements. There's a research element, an applied science element, a technology element, and then flight programs. Flight programs is what I'm in charge of, and we develop satellites and instruments to measure all sorts of parameters around the Earth, and take that data and distribute it around the world to everyone free. I, I love that about what you guys yeah. do. You know, like the data goes to everyone. Everyone, it's there. Just go to NASA's website and you'll be able to find information on how to get that data. Now, it's interesting you said uh, flight is part of what you're doing. Now, I always think of flight in terms of, of flying in planes, but you're talking exclusively space? Um, no, we do some suborbital uh, projects. So we actually do fly on airplanes and take measurements. But the larger portion of our portfolio is actually satellites. So when we say flight, it's flight into space. Now, that seems to be a pretty challenging task, figuring out what's going on on the planet from space. So how do you address this challenge of, of getting these unique data sets? It's really incredibly complicated. So what we try to do is look for specific measurements that we'd like to take to measure something, say, ocean salinity. So we look at, at individual parameters, and then we try to take all that data and assimilate it and try to tell what's really going on on the Earth. So I imagine that part of what you do is once you kind of have this goal in mind, you've got to go out and find the people who can actually do this for you. Exactly. We, we do it two ways. One way is we direct missions specifically to a NASA center. And another way is we have open solicitations in which we look for um, either government or uh, private industry or academia to respond to us back with proposals for how they would address some of our science needs. 
We're looking at one of flight projects at Langley's uh, missions, which is SAGE-3. How are you involved with SAGE-3 and other flight projects related to missions? Yes, yeah, so SAGE-3 is one of our projects that's going to go on the International Space Station. Within our science, we're actually employing the International Space Station more and more as a platform for us to take measurements. We're able to get there relatively inexpensively by accessing uh, missions that are already planning to go to the International Space Station. And then uh, we were able to mount onto the International Space Station, uh, take advantage of some of the resources that they have, and be able to take our measurements. And SAGE is one of those that we're really excited about because it's one of our, our big opportunities to get some important data back. What are some other examples of some success stories that you have from a uh, Earth Sciences Division standpoint? Well, we certainly have many missions. We, we currently have about 18 missions that are, are currently in orbit uh, collecting data, and we've got a, almost an equivalent amount that are under development to go forward. And I'll point out a couple from the Langley Research Center. So you mentioned SAGE. There's also Ceres and Calypso are two other projects that we're working with. So Ceres is our radiation budget instrument, and Calypso is a laser measurement looking at clouds and other atmospheric elements. So we do a wide range of stuff and it's really exciting taking a look at all these measurements. Tell me a little bit about how interesting it is to actually meet with these experts and subject matter experts at the various centers and partners because they're the ones that are actually going out and making it possible to get those data sets. Yeah, it's true. I don't think people really have any comprehension of the expertise and hardworking people that are working on NASA projects. Um, this is their passion. It's not just a job to them, it's the love of their life uh, working on these projects and knowing that they're making a difference. They recognize the objectives that we have about understanding our home planet and are really passionate about delivering that science for us. You know, Steve, that has to be one of the cool things about what you do. You get right. to work with all these experts, as Eric said, all these people that are very passionate and skilled in doing their jobs. That is the best part of the job. In that interview, I asked about SAGE-3. What right. exactly is SAGE-3? SAGE-3, uh, by definition, is the Stratospheric Aerosol and Gas Experiment. I see you consulting your notes on that. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I got that right. <laughs> Gotta love if those I African. didn't, there would be, I'd have to pay. Absolutely. Um, but it's going to go to station, and it's going to be studying the ozone and measuring pollutants. And one might say that we're understanding the planet and helping to save the planet. It's also very interesting it's on station. That, right. That's a unique thing, right? It's the first time we've got an Earth Science observing instrument that's going to go to station. Love first. Now, one of the things that Eric talked about is that the, a lot of the data that comes from these projects is open to anybody to right. use it. Can you tell us like some of the organizations and people around the world that actually use the data? Typically, the Earth Science observing groups they're at universities like uh, University of Colorado is for one that comes to mind pretty quick. And then you've got NOAA, they use this information here uh, within the states. And then you've got, you know, the Korean Institute, then you've got the Japanese Institute and the European. I mean, so we all kind of share that data to make sure we understand what's going on globally. Now, using SAGE-3 as an example, once headquarters has awarded that project to Langley, once it gets here, how do you manage it? Typically, uh, a mission that's flight to orbit goes into flight projects, and we've got 10 of those missions right now. And we'll assign a project manager. That project manager will work with the other organization at the center to pull a team together. They'll start identifying the requirements. 
and then they'll do the design, development, test, and launch. And then the data comes. It's awesome. And then the data comes. Well, we want to look at that process a little more. And so Chris did an interview with your boss, I believe, married to Joseph. Oh, yeah, she is my boss. You're, you're the Robin to her Batman. Holy aerosol, <laughs> Batman. <laughs> Chris actually did that interview. Let's check it out while we recover here on set. So Mary, you cover a wide range of projects here at the center. Uh, what areas are you, are you focusing on? We serve multiple mission directorates. Uh, we do projects for human exploration. Uh, we do projects for space technology. We hope to be doing projects for aeronautics, but right now the majority of our projects are actually in the science mission directorate. We have five science projects in the queue at the moment, and that's unprecedented at Langley. What types of science projects are you, are you working on? Langley's area of specialization is atmospheric characterization, and we build or manage the instruments that are providing long-term data records in areas like ozone, in areas like Earth radiation budget, in areas of climate, and we've got a new one in the queue with Tempo that's actually monitoring pollution. So it's all very exciting and actually very important for keeping the planet safe and healthy for future generations. Now, as a director as a whole, do you have a special formula or a special uh, a secret sauce. A sauce, right? You want to say, yeah. Really, it's finding that dedicated team of experienced people who work really well together. And we've gone to great lengths to develop a pipeline so that we've got people who've been working flight projects for multiple years before they actually get into flight projects. And finding the people who have that ability to look at the big picture and yet delve into the details and understand how those details are going to drive and affect the big picture in the future. You're starting at maybe at a design level, mm -hmm. but then as you proceed all the way through the flight, you're building hardware, you're testing hardware. So mm -hmm. I'm sure you have people that span the whole life of the project. Mm -hmm. Right. So there, there is a core of um, my team that really likes to go from cradle to grave, from the mission concept all the way through launch. And you're right, there are people who specialize, there are people who really enjoy the formulation phase and like to hand it off after PDR to the people who are going to go work the details of the hardware and experience uh, all of the excitement and, and some of the pain that actually goes with building the hardware, testing it, integrating it, and taking it down to the launch site. It's a very diverse set of skills and it requires an enormous amount of experience and knowledge to do the whole thing. It does sound like you are the all-star group because of your diverse background, the experiences, the level of experience that you have within your, your flight project, and mm -hmm. also all the different areas that you cover. Yes, it, it, it's a fantastic group of people in flight projects, and they do the most incredible things for NASA and for the country. Now, Steve, Mary talked about one thing that is essential to the success of any mission, and that is the people. Absolutely. Is there a challenge to manage all the people in these projects? Oh, you bet there is. Given the fact, and Mary alluded to, that we support the Human Exploration and Operations Mission Directorate, we support the Science Mission Directorate, we support Space Technology Mission Directorate, and each directorate has a certain way of doing things. You know, it's they've been successful and they want to repeat success. Some of the larger directorates, even the divisions have that. And so we have to manage all that and, and meet those expectations. But Mary mentioned the secret sauce and it's people. And the right people can make anything work. And it doesn't matter, you know, if they're in this directorate or that directorate, we just have to understand, but the right people can make that work. 
You know, and it's interesting, it pays dividends too, because even though Mary mentioned that a big part of what you guys do is atmospheric characterization, you're also doing these other things like uh, robotics and, right. and other types of missions right. that are in different disciplines. So, uh, you know, that's got to add to the challenge. It does, it does. We uh, have expertise in structures and robotics at the center, and that lends us to be called upon by other centers and industry to team and partner. In fact, I had a chance to sit down with Philip Brown of the ARM mission right. and talk to him about that project. Let's check it out. Phil, one of the missions that we're really excited about for Flight Projects Directorate is ARM. Tell us, what is ARM? So ARM stands for the Asteroid Redirect Mission. It's actually two missions in one. There's a mission to go out and collect a boulder from a, an asteroid, return it to local Earth-Moon system area, and the follow-on mission would be to send up an Orion crew to actually do an EVA with the collected boulder and assess it and return samples back to... Sort of the hands-on version. Right. So let's talk about the part that you're working here at Langley because I've been into the high bay and I've seen the special floor and some of the hardware. What actually are we working on here to further the mission? So Langley is working on a, a subsystem called the contact and restraint subsystem, which is the, basically the landing legs, if you will, for the whole ARM robotic spacecraft. The CRS will actually serve three operational purposes on the redirect mission. And that is first to be the contact and load attenuation system on touchdown with the asteroid. We're actually landing the full spacecraft on the asteroid directly over a boulder, which we've done, you know, precursory surveys of and had selected prior to, to the landing event. Is that why you have the special floor, is to simulate those conditions for not only the legs, but the mechanism to retrieve? The... Yeah, so we're, we're going to be working in a, a near zero gravity environment. These asteroids that we've been targeting have gravity fields somewhere on the order of micro-Gs compared to Earth, you know, 1G gravity systems. So it's very light gravity systems. So that's what we've been developing over on, you know, what we refer to in some vernacular as the flat floor system. And that allows us to develop a system that uh, floats on air bearings to give us sort of that zero G type condition and frictionless type setup for us to, to work to help pan out our concepts. So that's what we've been doing for about the last year, a year and a half, is pulling that system together. And what's the next level of testing before you actually get to flight ready hardware? The next step is uh, we're in the process now of developing some prototype uh, legs that will, we will again actuate with commercial hardware to get to a system that represents more closely the stiffness of the actual flight design that we're working on. So that system's under development now. We expect to see that come together before the end of the calendar year. And then we'll be able to use that as a closer representation of uh, where we're heading for the flight design. You know, Kristen isn't on the set today, but he did find a way to make it into the B-roll of our last video. Hey, it's pretty sneaky that way. Yeah. yeah it's interesting because he's host uh, and yet camera person. He's kind of doing a little uh, cross-discipline action. And speaking of cross-discipline, that's not unlike what your engineers and scientists are doing in your missions uh, Absolutely. for FPD. Right, right. Our, our teams are so talented that if they do structures, say for human exploration, they can switch over and do structures for a robotic mission or do structures for like satellite servicing or do something related uh, in earth science. Very flexible. And in another cross-discipline uh, situation, we have our intern who's actually ready now with her interview on Ceres. Let's check it out. 
So Kevin, series is a big five letter acronym. Did I count them right or are there six? There are five letters. And right. actually we've got a couple additional ones stuck on the end for this one, it's FM6. What does all of that stand for? Series stands for the, the clouds and Earth's radiant energy system and FM6 stands for flight model six. So this is actually, despite the sixth, the seventh version of of series. Did something happen? So the first one was titled something different oh. and they flew it and it was a prototype and it worked and now they've gone back and they've made six others just like it. So FM6 is the new one. When does that launch and what is its mission? So FM6 will launch in March of 2017. Its mission is to measure the radiation that is going towards the earth from the sun and also the radiation that is emitted from the earth and reflected by the earth. So it's launched as part of a larger spacecraft, JPSS-1, which is run by NOAA. It's a joint polar satellite system. So this is the first in a series of missions that NOAA is doing, where they bring together a set of instruments that work together to fly in what we call the A-Train, which is led by the mission Aqua. Okay, that was a lot of technical things there. Sure I was. think the first thing was, Radiation, that's sort of a dangerous stuff, right? So the type of radiation I'm talking about is actually mostly visible light that you can see and the infrared, which makes you warm. So the light that comes into the Earth from the sun is either reflected by the, the clouds or it can be absorbed by the Earth, uh, its Earth's surface, or it can be reflected by the Earth. So there are a couple different ways in which the light can interact. What we're finding is that in order to predict the overall climate change, which is the overarching goal of Ceres, we need to be able to understand how much energy is the Earth getting and how much energy is it letting go. Because if we're actually receiving more energy than we're letting go, we're slowly warming up over time. And we're talking fractions of a degree over decades. So we're trying to get a very, very high accurate system to watch for, for tens of years with Ceres and a follow-on of RBI to take a look at how much radiation we're receiving, how much is leaving, and be able to kind of characterize how the clouds are interacting into that, which is where Ceres gets the C in its name from. So Ceres is measuring clouds and radiation, and I assume there are other measures taking place. How is that done? So we're actually doing it with three instruments that are very similar to each other. We've got three what we call bolometers, which measure the amount of radiation that hits them. And when I say radiation, I'm talking a lot more about the light radiation. When we have one channel that has a short wave filter in front of it, so it only allows the shorter wavelengths of light to get in. Then we have one with a long wave filter that only allows the longer wavelengths. And then we have one that we call the total channel, which allows all of the wavelengths of light to get in. So using those three together, we can pretty much determine what the spectrum is of the radiation to try and see whether we're getting reflected radiation, whether we're getting emitted infrared radiation from the Earth or the reflected visible radiation. And we put those together to model the clouds and the budget and what's coming in and what's coming from the sun and what's going out to the galaxy. So have all of the series crafts done the same thing? They all have the same instrumentation? Exactly. All, all of these are exact copies of each other. Even on this latest incarnation, FM6, we're using the exact same technology that was developed as part of FM1. But in order to prevent a gap, the measurements from FM5 to RBI, which comes after us and does similar measurements, We've created FM6 largely out of spare parts and other pieces from FM5 and FM4 so that we could build up a very long-term, multi-decade data record. So Alan, Kevin mentioned a little bit about RBI when he was talking to me about Ceres and his point was basically that Ceres is just bridging the gap and it's all building up to RBI. Can you tell us what that stands for and what RBI's mission is? So the overall instant radiation budget instrument, we're making Earth radiation budget measurements. So what that really means is 
we're looking at the energy that comes into the Earth, which is sunlight, and energy that leaves the Earth, which is reflected sunlight and thermal emissions. So RBI measures all the energy leaving the Earth. Okay, and why is it important to have such a huge data set over such a long period of time? Yeah, seriously taking data for 20 years, and there were some precursors to that. The Irby instruments started these initial measurements. One of the reasons why it's so important to have the long data record is that there is natural variability. It varies over long time spans, 10, 20 years. So you need to have data that envelopes that entire cycle so that you can understand what's actually a long-term change and what's just variability. It's just trying to sort those two out. Can you kind of give us a little bit of a sense of what is the significance of the, if the radiation budget is overall warming or cooling, and what affects that? Is it natural factors, or do, does mankind play a role as well? So, so RBI looks at the overall energy budget. What it's doing overall will affect overall policy, how we respond to the measurements, how we as a nation world respond to the measurements. So understanding if the warming is natural, is part of a natural variation. If that is the case, it'll go back to normal and you don't really have to worry about it. It'll take care of itself. But if it is a long-term trend that gives us the opportunity to inform policy and make decisions that may change the direction. RBI itself does not determine whether or not the warming or cooling is caused by humans, for example. If there is a long-term trend, then there are a number of other instruments that will come into play to help us inform what the actual cause of that is. Steve, uh, what are some of the significant milestones you're gonna see through flight projects over the coming year? We just talked about Ceres FM6, and that's gonna be launching later this year, uh, measuring you know, the radiation budget. And SAGE is gonna be launching early this year, so that's exciting. Uh, its destination will be International Space Station. Uh, RBI is going to complete its integration and test this year, and the launch aboard system for Orion should complete its structural test. It's going to be a banner year for us. Exciting stuff coming uh, right out of Flight Projects Directorate. Yeah. Very good. Well, I tell you what, we're also excited because mentioning Sage 3, we're actually going to be there covering the launch live. Oh, that's great. Uh, so make sure that you stay tuned to our social media pages to find out that exact date. And maybe we're wondering uh, if you're there, maybe you'd be willing to come on the show. I would love to. That would be awesome because we could use you. Yeah. <laughs> Ratcheting up that attendance. Uh, <laughs> and I could click my card, yes, you know, yes, working yes. on that free you, sandwich. You no, know, you just might get a free NASA Ed shirt. I'm in. <laughs> Making bold promises here on, on NASA Edge. Thanks, Frank. Franklin's going to get you a shirt. Well, that's about all we have for today before we start giving away equipment. Uh, you're watching NASA Edge. An inside and outside look at all things NASA. Hey, Steve, thanks for being on the show. Man, my pleasure. Good, good, good. Hang on before you leave, man. Right. I need you to punch my card. Oh, man. You are uh, really trying to get my shirt, huh? Yeah, what about the other four? <laughs>